0: Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 89 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from you're hearing behind me right now is a track from Running Point from a tape called Medida Medica. It was the first release to come out on Power Moves Library. Running Point's the solo project of Kevin Cahill, who also operates Power Moves Library, and its previous incarnation as the Power Moves label out of Ontario, Canada. Power Moves in both variations has amassed quite a fantastic catalog that spans a wide range of sounds from abstract guitar improvisations to noise to sound art and beyond. And on this installment of the show, we're going to be talking with Kevin about his work with Power Moves, along with his various solo and collaborative music projects that he's currently involved in. And we'll also talk about the recent zine that he just put out through Power Moves Library. It's an extension of the writing that he was doing with his rotational review music blog. Before we get into that discussion with Kevin, I thought I'd play a track from another project of his. This one from Ro, a duo with his wife, Cheryl. And this is a track called Magnetowan from the release Live Den. I guess, first of all, if we're going to discuss your label, Power Moves Library, we need to back up and discuss the previous incarnation, which you called Power Moves Label. I always I always loved that, the label that was tacked onto it. Um, but yeah. you, you had started that up about three years ago now, and I guess as someone who is quite active making music, was the label uh, initially a means for you to get your own material out into the world?
1: Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. For sure. Hey, thanks for doing this, by the way, too. This is really awesome.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Love what you do. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, I just was working on some solo stuff, and that first row tape that me and Cheryl were doing, um, I knew that would be the first release. So everything was kind of built around starting it kind of from there. I knew I kind of had some ideas. I wanted to kind of branch out in a couple different spots, but yeah, I really did just kind of start from there as a way to kind of control just kind of control everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Yeah, just kind of be kind of in, in control on the art and, you know, the process, how long it took, how we wanted to kind of shape it or what it could kind of turn into. Mm-hmm. It was all kind of, kind of flowing as it was happening. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well, you were involved in a band called The Riderless, and and I'll openly admit that I really wasn't familiar with that group <laughs> Until I was kind of, you know, and I'll use air quotes here, doing some research, uh, getting okay. ready for this interview, <laughs> and uh, but the group featured several musicians who are really kind of closely tied to what you're doing with the label. So I wanted to ask, maybe first, you know, is the Riderless an active unit in any way to this day? And then, secondly, can you tell us about, you know, the trajectory of that band and how maybe the label grew out of the activities of you guys playing together?
1: Yeah, well, the um, yeah, the Rattle started pretty early two thousands, two thousand one, I think, or two. I can't remember because it was kind of a loose group of us. At kind of at the time, the the core of it was me and my brother Pat and Ryan Waldron, mm-hmm. and, and we would just kind of jam all the time. We all kind of learned how to play guitar kind of together when we first met. Me and Pat were playing, and then we met Ryan uh fairly shortly after we were playing guitar together so it kind of all happened that three of, we would just get together with three of us and just play tons of guitars and just kind of dissonant attitude kind of shit and it was just kind of going with the flow mm-hmm. and then we had a few kind of gig opportunities and um we liked the idea that four city gallery used to be the housing for um the Niles spazard band and they played every monday nights right and they played in this back room uh, in the east end that was really kind of cool really informal uh just kind of have a few beers and kind of jam out so we just started to kind of gig around there and then it kind of became more of a thing when uh, I was already with Cheryl, and I kind of introduced the idea to have Cheryl come into the band and just play keyboards, maybe sing, read poetry, whatever whatever she kind of wanted to do at the time. And she had a little bit of piano background, so she joined, and then Ian, the drummer, um, went to the high school that me and Pat went to. He was just a couple years younger, and he had moved to town. This is in London, Ontario. So uh, he moved to town, and then we kind of got going then. And then we did a little bit of touring, and mostly just around Canada. And just kind of pumped out a bunch of CDRs and stuff. And the live show was actually always ended up being quite a bit different than the the recordings. The recordings were kind of snapshots, time and a place. Because we really just kind of improvised a lot of that material. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a mix. We were all into different stuff. Ian was really into electronic music. And we were all kind of discovering, you know, Delta Blues and African music. And just, you know, Chicago stuff and jazz. All this kind of stuff was all kind of happening. All kind of separately. And we all bring it together and stuff. So that was kind of in London with the band. And then we're not an active group right now, though. But um, I I, I can see maybe some some stuff maybe happening down the line. I know other uh, Ryan and Ian have kind of kicked it around, but I kind of see it as a little bit in the past. But that's that's just me. I mean, it's still kind of a fluid thing. But um, me and Cheryl moved to Toronto in 2000 end of 2006. And then Ryan was already, I think, in Hamilton. He was in St. Catharines for a bit, too. So we all just kind of started to get a bit spread out. And then we gigged a little bit even still just because, you know, we can just kind of swing together and kind of kind of pull it off just winging it but Mm -hmm. it just kind of started to fizzle out after that the last record i think is 2013 just uh in the summer i think of 2013 but it took a while to kind of get that kind of put together to be honest
0: so was that really when when that sort of fizzled out was that the time then that power moves label was sort of beginning that would kind of spawn that direction for you
1: uh, we, a little bit I was, we already kind of were working on a lot of music there's a lot of gaps in between the stuff with the band it kind of was almost like a functioning non-functioning kind of group <laughs> mm, yeah sure <laughs> because we were spread out and people say hey are you, is that band still happening I'd say I think so you know <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just we'd just kind of take gigs when they would happen and stuff but,
2: sure uh,
1: yeah I was already kind of doing a lot of solo stuff and me and Cheryl were really kind of starting to really get kind of philosophical on how we wanted to kind of approach a duo record because it was something we'd always really wanted to do we are just kind of letting it kind of build kind of in that kind of patience way she's she really likes kind of taking her time with everything so that kind of was happening but then yeah then it just would just happen i was like i need i need to do this let's roll with this kind of roll with this so then we just started to kind of just kind of roll on the power moves just kind of on a whim just kind of came up with the name made a wordpress just all kind of happened and then then it was just kind of rolling kind of almost too quickly right yeah
0: well, you had put an end uh, to Power Moves label and you referred to it as a 15 release cycle. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember, you know, if it was on your website early on or not, but I mean, did you conceive this variation of the label, you know, from the get-go as, uh, you know, just kind of running its course in that short amount? And, and then I guess, or did this sort of happen as you were running the label realizing, hey, I want to make a clean break and start something different and head off in this different direction
1: uh all of the above kind of <laughs> yeah um yeah it was i knew that it was gonna be kind of sh- i didn't really say anything on the uh on the website or anything or but i always knew that it would really only maybe even i didn't even think it would get to 15 to be totally honest
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh
1: yeah i was just kind of i knew it was just going to kind of be just kind of a series and just kind of take it as as what it was but as it was happening. You know, with the that like the label is professional duplication, and you have to kind of wait for the turnaround, and everything's kind of somewhat kind of regimented. It was just becoming a bit mechanical, and I was just feeling I was just feeling either just wrap it all up or just kind of go in a different direction. And the library just kind of made total sense. You know, the home dubbing, just kind of start doing it more that way as a kind of a different move because I knew I just had a bunch of things that I thought could kind of kind of happen or just leave just you know just windows open so to speak to have other things happen that weren't. I don't think I would have maybe made that happen with, with just the label. So it kind of had to take a segue It just, yeah. So the 15 was just a way to kind of top it. Cause we had that, that compilation to kind of wrap it up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that kind of all kind of came out kind of spontaneously. So yeah, sure. there wasn't really a crazy master plan, but yeah, I, I knew I needed to kind of shift, shift a little bit. Yeah.
0: Well, when you rewrite the, uh, the label history, you can say, Oh, I knew it all along 15 headed <laughs> from the get go. Um, <laughs> well, you had mentioned some of the things that I was going to ask you. I mean, clearly handmade packaging, home mm-hmm. duplication. These are sort of key uh, factors of this new direction with Power Moves Library. Um, but I wanted to ask, you know, you mentioned some other considerations. Was one of them perhaps looking at other musical directions that you wanted to explore with the library versus the other, um, the label?
1: Um. I'm not really sure, to be honest. I know that there's been some pretty weird things kind of happen, and there's more to be planned. But I, I think it would have maybe kind of happened regardless. But yeah, I think there, there's just more leeway for more things to kind of happen, I guess. Like I've reached out to more people. There's more kind of ongoing communication throughout the process with our other ideas that can kind of maybe be brought into the process. Mm-hmm. So. hmm a little bit of that, maybe knowing that I could kind of reach out to more people, have a little bit of quicker turnaround, have more things kind of just on the go. I guess yeah, and that kind of that was really exciting to be honest, because it, it could be really spontaneous. Things can kind of happen and, and can turn around really quickly and then other things. We you know we can kind of build in it. it. It just it doesn't feel regimented in the other way. Right. Right now. Yeah.
0: Well, you've done these very limited editions for each physical release that you've done, and everything is available free online on your Bandcamp. Um, but with your latest one from Delphine Dora, which just came out, I want to say just maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, it was it was the largest uh, run that you've done with with 40 copies. And I was wondering, you know, do you feel like you're trying to find that decent point where you're able to meet this? So-called demand, <laughs> which sounds very yeah. business-like. Uh, right. I'm using that loosely here, but but I mean, you know, are you versus you know carrying a lot of stuff that's sitting around, or I mean, do you see yourself maybe trying to extend where you're at? Because it does seem to me like you know your titles do disappear pretty quickly. Do you see yourself pushing that you know fifty, sixty copies with other things in the future? Uh I, I don't.
1: I don't think so, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't i don't think that'll happen i think 40 will probably be tops i just feel that the process everything that kind of happens everything just kind of fits perfectly on this dining room table when i'm laying it out when everything's kind of happening and if it gets a little bit bigger than that again it kind of comes in that mechanical reproduction kind of feeling where it's just feeling a bit just moving further away from it just feeling kind of uh i don't know like just more kind of that unique feeling you just having just a few things it's not even for uh you know a a collector thing or anything like that. Like that's not, it's not about that. Right. It's just the, uh, just the idea that there's just, these, these are just the amount that have to happen. You know what I mean? I, I like the idea of like 10 or 12, but I realize that's, you know, like there are people who do want to genuinely hear the stuff. Right. <laughs> and, and there's a, a larger, and I absolutely think it's amazing. It's incredible that people are into it. But at the same time, I think there still is also a level. If you, if I have a few things on the go and they're 50, 60, I can see them still kind of sitting there. And then you have the, the back catalog, like you say, and some of the administrative capitalist stuff, That side of it, it just is just not appealing. So, yeah, I I like how I like how they kind of just come and go. And and part of me, at the same time, is you know get if as a listener, if you're you're digging on some of the stuff, like get into what the other people are doing and follow their trajectory. And it almost as a stepping point. There's more to come. There's you know what I mean. There's more around the corner. You don't have to kind of get hung up on particularly on the object. Mm -hmm. But also been kind of kicking around, you know, it being kind of this library. I use quotes, um, like circulating the copies that I have right kind of just kind of having them in the mail if someone actually wants to hear the tape and they are intrigued by that because i dig it i I love the sound of tape so if someone say they wanted to hear a certain tape and it's sold out oh i really want to hear that talagon tape or i want to hear this or that like i love i love that idea that it's like yeah send me a line and we can kind of move it around and pass around kind of put it in circulation you could hear the tape right but um but i mean the idea that a lot of the, the the masters are just wave files that sound kick ass so i mean grab that too and Interact with it on that level, you know, and burn it to a disc if you want. If you want a copy, you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. So, like not saying do that, but just meaning I think that the albums can, can they can stand alone completely, even regardless of the tape.
0: Right. But, yeah. So, are you someone then that doesn't really worry so much about creating something that's the like definitive statement or this masterpiece? Uh, it's just the process of creating and putting it out there. Is that more important to you?
1: I would. I would say for my own work. Probably, yes, I'm trying to nail that masterpiece idea, absolutely, I don't think it will ever happen, mm-hmm. but uh, that I, I, I do think that some of the stuff that's coming to me, you know, the Delphine record, Lane's record, everything, I think they're amazing records, you know what I mean? Right, right. I think they are awesome pieces, it's just, just, there maybe isn't hundred copies floating around, or, or selling for crazy prices on Discogs, so to speak, I don't think it kind of takes away from the fact that they are these kind of amazing things, and you can kind of get lost in a lot of the stuff, I, it's more that, the engagement, I remember... You know, back in London really early, just out of high school, uh, moving from Sarnia to London and then just hit the library and just, you know, you take a CD home and I wouldn't burn it. I wouldn't – I didn't have a computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm just, just kind of working jobs and just listening to CDs, take it back. You know, I'm listening to some Indian classical music. I'm taking it back to the library. Just that idea that's kind of flowing around and you're listening to it is right. is, is part of it for me. The library idea is yeah. part of it. It's just getting inspired and hearing shit. But I do think that some of the stuff is absolutely kick-ass. Yeah, absolutely. But right. I'm a pro I'm a process guy for
0: sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to play something uh, here to start off this first set from the new Delphine Dora release. It's called Parallel World. And I guess I should ask, you know, because I came upon her work. I think she had just mailed a package out of the blue and I had never heard her stuff and I was really um, drawn into her work and what she's doing with her label. I guess what what mm-hmm. appealed to you about her music?
1: Um, I, I, I just think it's absolutely beautiful music. Uh, I heard that low la on the Ford evil fruit mm-hmm. and, just, and just thought it was incredible i love the panning choices how their stereo ideas and almost the idea of playing along yourself but not listening to the tape the take sorry mm-hmm. so you're multi-tracking just these things are happening these new kind of realities are emerging and it's very i think deep in subconscious type stuff happens because it's very free flow that stream consciousness idea or or even kind of you know um what is it like that see see-through comp- the through composition where it's just kind of always evolving and, and kind of turning i i just it's, it's inspiring i you know i've tried similar things i, I don't think my music sounds anything like it but with some of the running point ideas and using kind of stereo choices panning having almost the two panning ideas create kind of one texture because mm-hmm. they're kind of they're playing off each other Ignatz is getting kind of good at that too with just almost filling in good gaps you can get these really cool kind of ideas going so with the piano work especially you hear these low notes these high notes everything's kind of wrapping around itself it's i, I really really love the textural kind of kind of um, weaving that she, she's able to do, and her voice is awesome. I love how she reaches kind of with her voice and mm-hmm. it goes to pieces and it's like, wow, it's really bare and absolutely hard on sleep. Yeah, it's, I mean, we should all be thankful that music like that is around.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, let's, uh, let's play a track. This is going to be an excerpt here from the A-side again from Parallel World by Delphine Dora. Mm-hmm.
2: Training, music, vision, music, speaking and talking and calm. Training, training, vision.
0: describe some of your initial exposure to or experiences with this international cassette underground network um <laughs> god that sounds so like yeah you know serious so serious yeah, but no, but you yeah, know, I... <laughs> but, but um i guess what were some of your you know formidable labels or even acts that that made you take note of what was happening in this little tiny corner of this musical universe and you know maybe what made you feel like this was something that you wanted to take part in
1: yeah that's cool that's a good question um i guess with the band we were kind of more kind of cdr kind of on that trip just with the jewel Danler and vibro cathedral kind of vibes just that kind of tapped in and we knew always knew there was these other labels things were happening with tapes all that stuff was always kind of happening at the time i remember kind of thinking tape, ah, okay, whatever you know what i mean just kind of whatever's easiest cheapest cdr seemed to be the function i wasn't at, at the time really even doing it really a lot of the packaging ryan walter did a lot of the packaging always looked really good but uh, when me and Cheryl, we were living together at the time, still did. but uh, we had this boombox box in the kitchen, and we had a few tapes just between us, just a few, that's it. The collection was, I think, five or six tapes. One was a tape of these trains that she recorded for an art project, just for fun. Mm-hmm. One was a tape that she had made of one side had Cat Powers, what would the community think, and the other side had Memphis Mini, the volume 2, with Kansas show, which is kick-ass. I had a few tapes of Ravi Shankar and Ali Akbar Khan from a record store that went, went out and Waldron, actually, he had been putting up some tapes when he started the Talagung stuff in the mid-2000s on some pretty kick-ass labels, actually. So he was kind of feeding some of the stuff, too, and there's a tape Distant Flying Apart that's Talagung, that's on that Slow or Slow Tapes? Slow yep. Tapes?
2: Yes. Yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> and uh, me and Cheryl were on that tape, actually. So we had that one, too, and we just were always just, they just felt so awesome and special just having those tapes, and we'd play the tapes and we were just always cycling through or making dinner, just hanging out in the kitchen, all the stuff, and it always felt really awesome. I really love them. Then at one point, um, more stuff started kind of flowing in at the time, just kind of grabbing stuff I shows, like, like some early Ignat, some other stuff was kind of happening, you know, was grabbing that. And then I got a really nice tape deck. And then at that point, I was like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm so old. This is, this is kick-ass.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then, then it was at that point, I was just really into a lot of the stuff that's happening. You know, it's just, you know, even the, the podcast with tabs out, all the stuff that was kind of happening, mm-hmm. Where it was really easy to kind of tap into just all the stuff that's that's. That is all around us right now you know there's so much great stuff i mean it wouldn't take very long at all to to find amazing electronic music or amazing this, or that even what you're doing in your show is just a you know plethora of incredible stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah i would say it would kind of started around those tapes and i know i always just kind of dug the sound of tape but it never really felt as a as something that was needed or essential to what i was doing then it just became kind of essential or i love the sound of it i want to work with it and kind of take it from there
0: Right, right. Are you are you one with your own work? Are you recording to tape? Or are you still using digital?
1: I, I do both. Yeah, I, uh, I do a lot of tape. I have a couple of handhelds. I have a micro cassette player actually too. Mm-hmm. Um, the Thomas from Ambivalent Soap. It was a short-lived uh, label from yep. Madison. Uh, he put out one of the running points, and it was on a micro cassette. And he sent me a micro, micro cassette player to play it.
0: Yep. Well, I so actually I, am, I yeah. am at the end of the show. I am going to mm-hmm. pull off playing that micro oh. cassette. I have it. <laughs> nice. Man. So Sweet. I'm going to I'm going to see if I can pull it off, if I can play it. So that'll that'll we're, I'm going to try to end the show with that particular mm-hmm. micro cassette. It'll, <laughs> it'll be a freeform freakout first. So <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to mic the
1: speaker or just yeah?
0: I, I'm just going to plug it into the board through the okay. through the headphone jack. So we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. No. I'm <laughs> looking forward to hearing that. <laughs> um but, um, yeah. yeah, so it kind of was, yeah, the, I use the handhelds quite a bit, actually. It's becoming more and more, and I will probably get into it later, but some of the stuff that I'm doing with the Downer Canada is more kind of built around the handheld tape stuff that I have.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well,. A question that, that I wanted to ask you, because I often have to stop, you know, when I get into these uh, certain funks, you know, <laughs> with, with, with trying to juggle all these different things. And I know for you, it's being, you know, being an artist, running a label. I'm sure you have your own day to day responsibilities and all that. But sometimes yeah. I have to is, you know, is, is this worth it to you? I mean, is, you know, why is running a label important to you? And and I guess part of I, the reason I asked this is because there are just so many labels out there, and there's so much music that you can access at any time, and there's mm-hmm. seemingly so such a I don't want to say little interest, but it's fairly small, you know, in these types yeah. of things. So, what is it that keeps you interested in it? That keeps you motivated to move forward with this?
1: Uh, I love it. Yeah, I, I love it. It I need it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I need it. I have a day job, you know, I home life, everything get busy, and I I can just dive into this and I, I, I do quite a bit too much probably, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like moving to the library with the home dub was supposed to kind of be easier, less work, but it's been more, more, but in a good way, I like, I like to be busy. I like to come home and, you know, have kind of home time. And then, you know, later in the night work on stuff, you know, if it's listening to masters or, you know, throwing the headphones on doing this or working on my own stuff or just kind of putting stuff together, mail, whatever. But yeah, I think it actually kind of wraps up now as things progress, just kind of philosophically. I just get in a lot of conversations with Cheryl or, or just kind of wrapping around, Just different ideas and that, and it's it's always just kind of comes up. It's just become a huge part. I didn't think it would, but it's just it's just kind of a massive part of what I'm kind of about now. It sounds funny to say, but but it really is. Like I mean, all of it—the music, everything—you know, all of it is is really really important to me. Yeah, really important.
0: Do you find that you know doing the work uh, as the label that that provides fuel for what you do as an artist? That there's this sort of reciprocal energy between the two
1: yeah definitely i mean being able to talk to a lot of a lot of really amazing talented people was really really helpful too just kind of taking ideas you know um derek Barron's a good example he's been really aspiring the work he does i think is really 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 awesome work and that you know just kind of thinking about techniques and if we share techniques we'd be you know riffing in an email about um using different devices to record you know digital and tape and you having a kind of feedback or overlay And i was like yeah i've been doing that and you know just kind of having these just having these conversations and then just having a flow between talking to different people, hearing the work they're doing, just setting really high bars, if kind of flowing back into my own work. And I I work kind of a lot, maybe probably sometimes too much. (laughs) (laughs) just thinking about, you know, is this, is this needed? Do I need to, is this an an album or should I sit on this? Should I tweak this? You know what I mean? Like it, it it all is this kind of ongoing kind of conversation in a way that I think is, is really, really great. I I love it. I mean, I'm always kind of thinking about it and, and having to kind of tweak how I can take things and just, seeing where some musicians are going with their ideas and how they're you know pushing their art forms and whatnot it's it's yeah it's inspiring to be around so the label kind of feedback in where you know sometimes i do stuff it maybe wouldn't be the label might be some other offshoot or whatever in it yeah it definitely is all kind of wrapping from the same place.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to play some more music here and I'm going to actually play something uh, from Talugan, which, as you mentioned, is a project of Ryan Waldron, who's pretty <laughs> you know closely tied to your work and the label and some of your stuff pre-label. Because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um, you had actually put out another Talugan release back on uh, the Power Moves label, the initial incarnation. And then you and Ryan also collaborated on a chapbook, which was actually, you know, one of the earliest things that you put out. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I guess... How long have you guys been, been working together? And, you know, maybe for people that aren't familiar with Tulugung, how you would describe it? Because to me, it's a really, he's doing some incredibly interesting things sonically that I can't always put my finger on, but I think it's yeah. incredible. I think it's incredible work.
1: Yeah, yeah I think that, that's, that's a cool way to say it. You know, I mean, his, his music kind of makes me laugh. You know, just thinking about that as a question, how would you describe his music? It kind of makes me giggle. Yeah, right. <laughs> His, his music's nutty man it's nutty but um it's so yes it's kind of this imagined imagine i always kind of think of it as an imagined world music or an imagined kind of island music you know it's just it's it's almost like the sound of frogs and grasshoppers if they were wooden instruments that made really unique sounds you know mm-hmm. like his stuff's super polyrhythmic but then other times he works with you know microtonal just intonation type scales where the they're. they're, they're there's things happening in ways that are really kind of rhythmically and r- rhythmically interesting. And, and, and you know, I'll talk to him because he's really in a rhythm. That's the interesting thing. You'll hear, you know, the multiplying dead ends, that first tape on Power Moves, the label, uh, is really kind of bizarre and wacky. All the stuff's happening. There's sounds of his children. There's uh, just scraping sounds. He builds his own instruments too. That's another thing. <laughs> right, right. So that kind of plays into it. they're like this kind of Harry Parts crude instrumentational thing that he has going on. Yeah, I, I just think he's a just flat-out artist, flat-out artist. When right. I think of artists, I think of him. I think he's doing amazing stuff. Yeah, and I yeah. think,
0: too, the, the the editing process that he goes through because, you know, on the surface, you think, oh, this is just kind of crazy electronic music, but then when you realize that, yes, he's editing together all this stuff from a lot of times, you yeah, know, acoustic sound sources, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, he has a... Uh, there's going to be a new split coming in January. Him on one side, about 20 minutes. And uh, this artist, Blanca Arrigo from Spain, mm. who does kind of really drawn out digital, distorted type stuff. It's one really long piece that just sounds like a puff of smoke. It's just, I think she just kind of did some recording out her window and sped it up, slowed it down, kind of distorts it, data bent type shit. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's really, really quite beautiful. I find it really beautiful, but it's really still and it's really just kind of one note, one pitch, if, if even that. You know what I mean? It's just kind of a sound that mm-hmm. just is continuous. And it floats so nice kind of – I know that Ryan deals with pitches and scales and stuff that are really limited. Like you're saying, some of the stuff um, on this new one um, are really short, really short samples. But then he'll just tweak it to sound like it's being played, like a xylophone or something would be played.
0: Right, right. Well, <laughs> kind let's... of more rhythmic.
1: Is a little bit more rhythmic, so it has these kind of interesting push pull ideas kind of happening. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, some of the some of these things that we're describing are going to come through here on this track that I'm going to play. So this yeah. is from uh, the release called Folded Spring, and this is the second track from the A side. Again, this is Tolugan. So we, we just ended that last set with uh, a track from Causing's, which is uh, one of the latest or is the latest tape that you put out, and it actually comes uh, with here uh, the first print edition of your Rotational Review Zine, um, which you had previously were publishing as an online blog. Um, I guess maybe just asking kind of point blank, you know, why the move to, to a print version? Is that how you want to keep uh, your or keep publishing your music in that way?
1: Uh, the writing you mean? I yeah. should say,
0: yeah, excuse me. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. the writing, the music yeah. writing. <laughs>
1: um, I want my music to be print. Brand- no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. it. It was, uh, it was kind of a tough job putting this one together, but also really, I really were warning at the same time. There's some things I would maybe kind of tweak. So yeah, I want to keep, I want to keep doing that. I feel like the, the writing on the blog was getting a bit, is getting a bit hard to kind of keep it, keep it rolling. Mm-hmm. And, um... I just felt like i needed to take a step back and say okay i want to kind of collect more ideas and kind of go into and maybe less so much just straight up review and just kind of more into overviewing ideas and you know same idea you know i always talked about kind of kicking around getting a record label to get together and i always kind of kick around you know writing a book so to speak so it's kind of scratching that ish too at the same time and kind of you know being inspired by like visions of cody and and also just getting an early osmotic tongue pressure when truman's water toured in kind of the mid-90s or whatever we were in london and one of the guys, uh, the drummer Kevin Caskell at the time, gave us this osmotic tongue pressure and just had all these amazing interviews with William T. Bowman, Richard Meltzer, all this kind of amazing stuff in it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And their writing specifically was really kind of loose and almost kind of beef art kind of ideas, just really loose and ragged. And it's always stuck with me. Like, I always would go back to the print mag because I had these interviews and little snippets. And you're like, oh, didn't they talk about that one record? You know, where you kind of go back to it's on the shelf.
0: Right, right.
1: I wanted, I wanted that idea and, you know, it just. You know, just you know, when you read a lot, and you're on the subway and you're thinking, "Hey, this would be kind of cool if someone was flipping through shit that I wrote." You know what I mean? Right, right. Like on you... a straight-up ego riff. I mean, I like it, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: are are you uh, a big zine follower? I mean, do you do you get into some of the newer zines that are coming out?
1: Uh, not not really. To be totally honest, I mean, I know there's some cool stuff, and I've seen some stuff just kind of tracking, just you know, just in Twitter and just friends of friends and that. Um, I don't really buy or collect a lot of stuff. To be totally honest, mm-hmm. I kind of stopped even buying records a couple years ago and my tape collection is still very small. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's awesome that people are still doing it. Uh, there's something kind of the tactile element of reading, collecting it, compiling it. You know, in this one, there's, um, there's a kind of a introduction feature on the Dagar family, the family tree, of the, the Dagar family mm-hmm. in, in the Hindustani Indian classical music that drew Pat style that Fong Tram wrote. Oh, cool. Yeah, and it's really amazing. So he's he's helping shape the z too, at the same time. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of flowing around in, in different ways. And 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 straight up, I, I just love interviews. I love interviews. And uh, I think you do a fast job on interviews, by the way. <laughs> oh.
0: Well, thanks. We'll see. <laughs> Edit editing helps, certainly editing. <laughs> yeah, but
1: the idea you know, the idea of the interviews is that I think that you can they kind of float a little bit out of time a bit versus you know a bunch of reviews but kind of place it to a specific time and. So in this one in particular, there actually isn't any reviews. I had a whole whack of reviews written, and then it was just kind of stuff I wasn't maybe going back to and listening to, and I was already kind of blowing by. It's just on my kind of day-to-day as what I really dig, and, you know, just that kind of existential thing about, uh, do I want to keep writing about this thing? or? So I just kind of went on this other kind of tangent about just kind of writing about ideas, I guess, and then, you know, just kind of write about guitar, or write about kind of a specific thing almost in a in a way, and then... I like that idea of kind of tying things back around where you can kind of, again, with a zine, it can sit on the shelf. Years later, maybe someone will read it and kind of see a thing, and it, it kind of can float, or float along a little bit. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's hard to really kind of nail that specifically when it's just kind of sitting online or something.
0: Right. Well, one of the things I know, like your review style that you were writing for the blog, um, you really had this sort of free associative style of writing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in some ways, I felt like trying to capture the feel of music that is, uh, very abstract, you know, it's not like you were writing about pop music or anything like that. Uh, I mean, was that something that you, as you were writing reviews, did you want to try to achieve that, um, in, in your words that you were, uh, putting, <laughs> I'm sounding so reductive here in the words that you were putting on the page, but, um, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's very good. Very thorough. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that it, it's kind of, uh, somewhat like a super tricky and difficult to do and kind of untapped a bit in that way but i absolutely think about i'm always listening and thinking about what i'm hearing how can i instead of it just kind of just being you know a lot of the time it ends up just being kind of descriptive but the idea of what you're kind of feeling and kind of putting that into kind of words in the way that you know musicians kind of think the same way while they're kind of making music in the same way you have to kind of dig down inside to kind of make something happen say you're doing like really kick-ass blues you're playing a horn or something want to kind of tap into that and try that and the spontaneous kind of automatic writing and kind of being descriptive and having words kind of come out really really in a free-flowing way which is more or less my kind of default writing style to be totally honest when i write just uh like just my notepads and stuff on at work just just kind of writing it always is really just kind of in that long kind of prose poem kind of idea so yeah it kind of made sense and then kind of being able to tweak it a bit in a sense where you know moving away from just the stuff that can be just maybe a hair dryer or kind of academic, when you're just kind of laying down, okay, this person biographically is this, or I think it sounds like this. Some of those things are kind of be, can be cliche. There's writers doing a kick ass job at that, but that cliche idea of kind of always kind of having to compare something to something or mm-hmm. rec- the recommended if you like kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. So- so I don't think I even made. I actually made it as a cautious thing. I think one time I made a reference to I think a writer, though, but just no direct comparison to anything else. Almost as this kind of standalone idea. I just love that idea. And then almost at the same time, if you read it to you. You would really be like, "What's this guy listening to?" Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't think this tape is that, or this CD is that. You know what I mean? I like. I, I think it's just kind of funny. Right. But right. Um, I did get a few because you know when you ever get kind of self-conscious, I, which I do all the time, even with the zine. I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to include my own stuff and. You're always kind of battling that kind of hypercritical element, but I've have, had have, have received a few kind of notes from a few people that were really, really meaningful. And I kind of think about that when I'm in a kind of struggle of, of, you know, is this too abstract? Almost on that idea, you know what I mean? The pendulum swinging—is this too kind of strange? Where mm-hmm. I, you know someone's reading it pretentious or something? I'm trying to match, you know, a horn line or something. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I, that is kind of what is happening. You when know, in that almost Kerouac, you know, sing the blues. Right. In a way, or, right. You know, right. You know,
0: well, in addition to the, I guess the writing and the in the new zine, I wanted to talk uh, about your music projects that you have because you have quite a few different things that you're up to in terms of both solo and collaborative things. You, as you mentioned earlier, you have uh, Running Point and, and Downer Canada are two of your solo things, and then you have Row with you and Cheryl, and then East of the Valley Blues is another one with your brother. So, quite a stu- quite a bit of stuff going on right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are are you someone that simply, you kind of referred to this earlier, but is are you recording things kind of constantly? I mean, are, are these projects something that kind of scratches a certain itch that you have to go off in certain tangents with things?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I do record a lot and I do, but I also kind of have structural ideas on, I still kind of work one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Like I may have a few things kind of on the go in the cloud or sense, but yeah, very kind of focused individually as each thing is kind of happening. But I do kind of tend to work kind of fast, probably sometimes too fast, like I said earlier, but it's kind of important to me to kind of see a thing and just kind of roll with it. I love that spontaneity and momentum, even just with the label, having things come to me and have it kind of be in motion kind of all the time and not just sitting there. I love that idea. But we're always kind of the centering thing because me and Cheryl talk so much about just, you know, she's just. We, listens to me just riff about music and, and she does the same, but we just go for walks a lot of the time. We are always talking philosophically about just music and, you know, running label and just ideas, life stuff. But so that I always see as kind of the center, even though we don't play that much, Is very patient thing with her.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So while that's happening, I've always, you know, always been a guitar player. So running point was just kind of solo guitar stuff. But now with uh, playing much, much more with PAC as we live closer together and, and we're able to get together a lot easier. The East of Valley blues kind of, does kind of scratch that is so to speak you know when i'm moving into you know trying to play kind of ragout type ideas or go really kind of loose free flow stuff you know you throw pat in the mix and he's you know a far better guitar player than i am and all of a sudden it's like wow we sound kind of cool together you know yeah yeah it, it takes on a, a larger power in it and it's hitting things that i can't do so that's almost covered in a way so the downer canada did kind of flow out of that but i also was doing a lot of just i just have a lot of recordings it's just feedback and just stuff you know playing around with an amp Playing around with the, the handheld tape cassettes, I record a lot just walking around outside. So that you know, was working into a little bit of the running point, just field recordings of things. But I was thinking more and more about just dropping out the guitar. Just I wasn't thinking about having melody or anything there to kind of soundtrack it, so to speak.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the idea, almost down to Canada, to me is I think about it very much is literally where am I standing? What was this place before? You know, I'll sit in my backyard and just sit on the picnic table and think this could be an album. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But then, you know, obviously, is it interesting, blah, blah, blah. It has to have these other kind of elements. But I really do think about it almost in that way, where you're just kind of like sitting music. Like this is just sitting, taking things in, trying other instruments that I don't normally play, but using them in a way, coming from the voice. You know, using I, I, a few things that are coming up, coming down the pike too, where I'm using more voice and, and, and tape. And, and the the guitar doesn't really factor into that. So that's where the downer Canada really, really kind of nails that kind of folklore kind of idea,
0: So field recording so- and environment. I was going to say, so the name is almost somewhat literal in the sense like you're capturing really downer moments while hanging out in Canada.
1: Sure, yeah. But it's, it's also funny because, you know, it's a riff on the olden days, upper and lower Canada.
2: Oh, okay. So you just kind
1: of think of downer. And it, but also, quite literally, I think it's funny that people have kind of a uh, few things kind of said, oh, yeah, it's kind of a downer thing. And it's like, yeah, for sure. But some of it, to me, is just walking around. That's just my day. I sure. guess it is downer I don't know. <laughs> You know what I mean? I guess I have downer days. But, right, right. Well, yeah, no, I, I see it very much as... as as environmental almost type music in a weird way, it sounds kind of cheesy to say, it, but just time and place type stuff.
0: Sure. Well, you did put out a tape uh, with Ryan Waldron called under the name uh, Peripheral Living back on the yeah. Power Moves label. Is that something that you foresee, you know, continuing with?
1: For sure. Yeah. We tend to kind of move a little slower. He lives in Hamilton, and we're here in Toronto. But we, yeah, we do tend to we do get together and jam and record. Uh, not as much as we would like. A lot of the time we get together and just kind of hang out and drink coffee and shoot the shit, but yeah. um, it's always there. And yeah, I, I love playing. I've played, like I said, we, we've played together for so long. You know, we kind of know each other's language when we're playing guitars together. He has this in- instrumentation stuff that he builds. He kind of kind of brings that to the mix. So yeah, it's, it, it will always kind of, we've even just been talking about kind of doing some more recording, but yeah, it's always really, really kind of organic. Let it just kind of be until it happens.
2: Cool, yeah,
0: yeah. Well um, <laughs> You mentioned, oh, oh. You, you mentioned uh, East of the Valley Blues, and you had that self-release tape that uh, you put out earlier this year. And then uh, I was just kind of poking around online. This was probably within the last month, and there actually is an LP reissue of this, and it's it's already out. And I was almost mm-hmm. shocked by that because of the fact that just knowing how long it takes to get LPs out and the reissuing process. But So I was, yeah. I was curious, I mean, were, was the label on top of this? Right from the get-go, I mean, were there plans to put this out on vinyl all along? How did that all come together?
1: Uh, not all along. It, it did happen really quickly, though. And there was, you know, there was still that kind of, that lag with the, the plant. Like, it kind of was happening in, from May, kind of on. So there was kind of the, you know, the, the, the pressing delays. But uh, it did kind of happen. We just kind of self-released it for the tour that, uh, we did a short t- tour in the States. Mm-hmm. And... Luke from Death Is Not the End had heard it and bought a t- bought a tape and just was just kind of we were just kind of riffing on Twitter and just messaging messaging each other and he's like, hey, is this you? And I was like, yeah, this is me and my bro. And he he was really into it. Just was just kind of asking, what would you think if if uh, what would you think about this being on vinyl? And I was like, that would be amazing. You know what I mean? But yeah. he's got this this archival label, so I didn't even necessarily know that he's even mentioning himself. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Kind of was like a delay, and then he's like, no, no, I yeah, I would want to do it. I'm like, oh shit, you know what I mean? So yeah, kind of. <laughs> it happened from there and then we, we moved through kind of quick on that where he had the art and the masters and we kind of took off and we we're just trying to get rid of the copies that we had so we can kind of move more in that direction.
0: Right. Cool. Yeah. Well, do you have a, I guess to kind of wrap things up here, do you have any future plans with the label or, or with your own projects that you can mention at this stage? Again, I know like you said, you kind of, you work on a short term basis. You don't plan things out too far in advance, but what are some of the next things that you have in the pipeline?
1: uh yeah that's yeah uh i do have a lot kind of things kind of in the uh, in the cooker or on the back burner so to speak for 2017 but in december we'll probably will for sure see a dane patterson tape who's an amazing artist mm-hmm. but he does electronic music and weirdo kind of gorilla style samples live drum type stuff cut up really awesome really awesome so that's going to come out in december um that split tape that i mentioned with ryan and blanca mm-hmm is going to be in January. Uh, me and Fong actually are starting a. It's going to be just kind of a side shoot. It's still be under the library idea, but it will be this excavation series. We're calling it. We're just going to do just mixtapes. Okay. So he did a um, South Asian mixtape recently for Spools Out. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just it was you know it's on Mixcloud and it was it was aired on the radio on Resonance FM. But we're going to put that on tape. Uh, Ryan Waldron is a huge collector of African music. So he has a mistake that he sent me. That'll be number two. And we're going to kind of move in in that direction. Just have kind of weird offshoot stuff that will just be free and just kind of small, limited numbers. But that's going to be something that's going to be kind of happening too, which we're really excited about. Cool, yeah. And for my own stuff, there's a Downer Canada thing happening um, into early 2017. Derek Barron starting his own CDR label. So he's, we're going to, yeah, I got a downer can. It's already kind of ready to go. Just kind of waiting for a nice time to kind of put that all together. He's, he's on tour right now too. So it's all just kind of that, but that will happen. Cool. And, and what else? There's more, there's a new record, It's of Valley Blues that's already done, but it's uh, still just kind of in planning stages, but that'll come out in 2017 too.
0: Is that something that's going to come out on, on the library then too? Nope. No. On a different, oh, on a different label then.
1: Yeah, but yeah just, it's just kind of pre-staged, so I don't really want to go too much into that.
0: Oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, well, cool. You got. Sounds like you have plenty going on. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, man, Try to get some holidays in too. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Well, thanks so much, Kevin, for your time. I really do appreciate it.
1: Oh man, thank you, thank you, man. It's a huge honor. So we'll, we'll get into.
0: It. I think why don't we start off uh, with the last uh, set here with something from uh, East of the Valley Blues. Here, this track called Sobrio. One, two, three, four. <music> That's going to bring this episode to an end. I want to thank Kevin again for taking the time to chat with me this week. If you'd like to check out the complete track list for this show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that you can follow to bring you to each of the releases played throughout this show. Or if you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. Otherwise, check back in a couple of weeks for a new episode. And as always, thanks so much for listening.